Hi, this is Coach Colette, and I am excited to welcome you to a new episode of Let's Talk. And in this episode, we are talking about microaggressions. Yes, we get real about it. And the origin story for this episode is actually the origin story for Let's Talk in general. We originally, my Start Within team, had a conversation a few months back about an incident that occurred when I was on a panel. And I asked my team if they had noticed the way one of my fellow panelists had shut down my idea with kind of a a remark that minimalized what I was saying. I was speaking about EFT as a solution for helping people to deal with stress and anxiety. And the person basically said, yeah, or you could eat ice cream and then launched into their conversation. And I asked my team the next day, did did they catch this comment? And that began a conversation about microaggressions. And then a couple of weeks later, we had another conversation about another incident that occurred with someone on the team. And that's when we started to think, hey, maybe we could start having these conversations on a regular basis. And that's how the Let's Talk segment was born. So in this episode, we are actually diving deeper into microaggressions, talking about our own experiences, dealing with them, how we have responded or not responded to them, and also within the context of actually being a recipient of a microaggression versus being a witness of a microaggression. So you're really going to want to buckle your seatbelts and get ready for this Let's Talk episode on microaggressions. Listen up. segment of Let's Talk is about microaggressions. We have the Start Within team here with us today. I'm Wendy. I'm Candice. I'm Samaya. And Coach Colette. So I would like to start this introduction with a quote from Samaya. She said, microaggressions are like paper cuts. One cut won't kill you, but if you are continuously cutting the same area, it becomes a wound. I think she really highlights the harm that these comments, whether they be intentional or unintentional, can do to someone. That's why I think today's conversation is important because it's a time to be reflective of the experiences we had, our responses to them, and how we as a society can be more mindful of what we say. So let's go ahead and begin with our first question. Have you ever experienced microaggression? Can you tell us about one instance and in what context did it happen? I can go first. I guess one instance where it was a microaggression was when I was in elementary school, around second or third grade. Uh, I used to live in an apartment, so we'd have to take our trash down to the lobby and then we'd throw it out down there. So I had just taken out the trash and was going back up and I was joined in the elevator by a man, probably like he was working, like old, obviously a lot older than me. And he asked me like, oh, hey, where are you from? And I was 10, 12 at the time, so I... I told him where I was from, like I was from San Francisco, that's where I was born. And he was like, oh, no, 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 where are you from? And I 
I didn't get why he was asking me over and again, so I just got off on my floor and left it at that. Didn't really care, forgot about it. But thinking about it now, he definitely meant the where are you from question as in what my ethnicity was. So he probably wanted the answer of, oh, I'm from Korea, which obviously like I was born here. I wouldn't say I'm from Korea, even though that is my thing, my ethnicity. So. A time where I faced microaggressions would probably be, it's a continuous thing where if someone's giving me a compliment, they would say, oh, you're really pretty for a black girl. Or it's like, oh, like you have like really nice hair. Didn't expect that. Or like the go on and like the touches like the hair to see like the texture of it. Or the, are you sure you're really black because your hair is so nice? Wow. Um, I, I have a more recent incident we'll talk about, I guess, in a few moments. But for me, the comments were often the, oh, you're so articulate. And that was one of those things also where the first time I heard it, it, because it seems like a compliment, right? And then it's, oh, I'm so articulate. But the, I think the thing is, is the unspoken statement. No one ever said, oh, you're so articulate for a black person. But then hearing it, or you speak so well, and hearing it and then realizing, no, they're not just saying, oh, I'm a public speaker or I'm a facilitator that I speak so well, but there's that unspoken second part to the sentence that's not being said. For me, thinking about when I face microaggression, I had to like really think about it because it doesn't really strike me as something that it's so subtle, so it's hard for me to realize that it's microaggression. So for me, it would be when I'm walking down the street in New York and I'm minding my own business and somebody off like the sides would be like, ni hao. That means hello in Chinese. And it just doesn't, I never really understand why they do that. I think I get more confused and angry when I hear people like address me that way because I don't know if I should feel offended that they're guessing my ethnicity correctly that's a whole nother thing because they judge me based on my appearance and assume that I'm Chinese. And then when they do get it right, I'm very confused whether I should feel offended that the first thing they think of is that I am Chinese or it just makes me feel very uncomfortable. And I just think like, how come you're addressing me in Chinese when you could be addressing me in English because that is like my first language and I speak it very well. So it makes me feel super uncomfortable when I'm just minding my own business and people feel the necessity to address me in a language that they just assume based on them looking at me. So let's move on to our second question. How do you respond to microaggression? How might someone's response be influenced by their upbringing or their identity? Well, I think, so for me, I can share about a more recent experience where I, I don't know that this is microaggression. It felt like full-on aggression. Someone recently at an event said to me the statement that the Congresswomen have heard in the tweets or seen in the tweets, which was basically, you're not American, go back to where you came from. And in the context of it, I was shocked, I was offended, I was horrified, yet it was within the context of a 
not my family, but it was within the context of being in someone's family situation and no one else reacted. So it was kind of like the comment was said, there was maybe a second or two pause. And then I was looking around at everyone else thinking like, did you all hear what I just heard? And then nothing was said. And so in that situation, I sort of sat there and I was saying on my breath, like, wow, I can't, did this really just happen? Specifically, since this is within weeks of this incident happening on the national scale. And all I could think of was, okay, I'm offended, I'm horrified, this was a horrible comment. And yet I immediately started to think about, well, what will happen in this context of this family gathering? Again, not my family, but a friend's family. What's gonna happen? And I started thinking about everybody else. So I didn't respond. I didn't call the person out on the comment. And I felt I felt powerless in that moment because and and why I say it, I'm, I, I don't consider it a microaggression because it was conscious because we had had a political conversation shortly either around it or near it where we were talking about some of the other policies. So I know that this was an intentional comment that the person said it specifically to push a button in me. In other situations I've had where people have made comments that were off color, sometimes other people have popped up and said, hey, you know, why, you know, that's not cool or why are you saying that? So feeling the responsibility of A, it was directed towards me and B, being the only one person that was going to respond and then feeling that, that there was going to be the all eyes on me. Like if I come out after this person, after the comment, then everybody's going to be like, well, why did she ruin the barbecue? Because we were all having fun. So that was a very stressful situation for me in that moment. And a time where I didn't respond even though, because I didn't really know what to say in that situation, given the context. Not that I didn't know what to say, <laughs> but I didn't know how to respond in the context. I think I can piggyback off of that, of always having the difficulty of knowing how to respond to a situation when you are obviously offended in a sense and always being we spoke on it on previous podcasts but just always being i guess identified or perpetuated into a certain stereotype where if you were the one to respond in a situation are you perceived as being like the angry black woman and for being like that buzzkill or you take everything too seriously. It wasn't that deep. That's not what I yeah. meant. That's not what I meant. Obviously that wasn't my intention and hence why it's called a microaggression. But in this sense it was very aggressive. So it wasn't a microaggression. But that's how it always is. It's just people continuously need to respond to with excuses to make you feel less than that you already are in a sense. I feel like personally that is something I always try to like weigh out. It's okay, do I necessarily care about the situation or like my surrounding area? Or do I care about making things right? Because I'm not going to sit here and continue this constant like cycle of you saying these microaggressions to other people and you getting away with it. And so I feel like that's usually what my drive is on how to respond to the situation. I think nowadays, I do think about the situation and there are times where I will, especially if it's, I see it happening and as a witness, I will say, hey, that's not cool. Or like what I, 
usually take a more like passive question route where I ask them, oh, what do you mean by that? Or like, uh, can you repeat that? Or like, can you make it clear for me? Like, I don't, I don't think I'm getting what you're trying to say. Uh, partially to make them think about think over what they said and see if they can first catch it and be like oh i did like if they didn't mean it then they have the chance to be like hey i didn't mean that sorry or i didn't like mean to offend you but if they don't then it's just at least if we're in a crowd of people then other people can see like they can try and justify themselves but it's not really justifiable any way they go about it so it's just kind of a passive aggressive way but i think especially growing up my natural response was just to kind of stay quiet and hold it in because I don't want to cause a scene or I just there are a lot of times where kind of my personality or kind of how I brought up at home I didn't want to I kind of like feel burdened by the pressure and definitely and know I wouldn't be able to say what I want to say if I do go out and confront so a lot of times I would just stay quiet and keep it to myself which in the end isn't the best because it just ends up you keep thinking about it and festering but I think that's when I was younger that was how I went about it. I think I can definitely relate to that because I was brought up with this idea that you don't want you shouldn't you try to avoid confrontation and avoid arguments and fighting because my mom always told me when this stuff happens on the train because even as a little kid I commuted a lot on the train so a lot of things happen um, with lots of different people mixing together. So she taught me to avoid confrontation, avoid fighting, like battles that you can't win. So I think being brought up that way, I assess the situation. And if it's something I can't ignore, that I could just brush off my shoulder, it'll just pass. So for the Nihao situation, I think it's um, a context that I can just brush off my shoulder because I don't feel there's a need to argue with them. Like you shouldn't speak to me that way or because I don't really understand where it's coming from. So as I'm walking down the street, I just choose to ignore those little comments. But as I get older and I'm starting to formulate my own opinions, I think I look at the situation and if it calls for me to say something, then I would say it. But majority of the time, if it's small and not that serious, I probably would choose to avoid that kind of confrontation and that fighting. Right, I mean, it's interesting even as I'm hearing all of us share our responses, that as the recipients, it's perceived then when we respond that that's what's causing the argument. When in reality, right, like you said something, like that person said that to me, and all I could think of was, oh, when I come back at you and say something, even if I just ask, why did you say that? Or what did you mean by that? And because also my tone would probably not have been maybe as clear as it is right now, then that automatically escalates, right? So, but the focus still being on the person who responds versus the person who provokes the situation or, you know, like when someone says, can I touch your hair and you say no, then all of a sudden it's like, well, what's wrong with you? Like, why can't I touch your hair, right? Like, so it's, it's often that the person receiving the microaggression is still viewed as the person that's causing the quote conflict just by defending your boundaries or refusing to accept someone saying something. And I just think that that's very interesting that the focus so often is still on the response to the comment or the aggression versus the person that actually said it or did it. 
I think that blends really nicely into our third question. How do we respond to microaggression differently as a witness versus being the person targeted? I think it's a lot easier as a witness to confront it and try and stand up to it because as um, Coach Collette said, when you're the one being attacked and you kind of retaliate, then suddenly it's, why are you so sensitive? That's the thing that comes up the most. Like, you're so sensitive on this topic, you're a little too sensitive and suddenly it's my fault. Whereas if you're the witness, I find it a lot easier to stand up because I'm someone who is observing and I, if I say, hey, that's not cool, it's suddenly, it's not the issue with the person being attacked being too sensitive, it's just that it was gen a generally not acceptable thing. And also, if someone else, a bystander, stands up, then other people who may have been staying silent for fear of what will happen, will they call me out on something else? They can also see like, oh, that person also thinks it's not okay. I will, I can also get the confidence to say my part too. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I feel that being the third party is easier than being the person that is originally like a part of the situation and is facing the aggression, um, mostly because of the fact of whether it's microaggression or bullying or any type of injustices that are happening like in the middle of the street. I was always raised to sit here and speak on that. And so I'm very like observant and aware of like my surroundings. And so if I do see that, I would hope for the same if I was in that position that someone would speak up on my behalf too. And it's easier to like combat racist comments or injustices that you see when it's two versus one in a sense. And so I feel like when people have backup or they feel like they have that support, even it'll be easier for them to like, cause I know for a fact that I was sitting here and I was in a public area and someone said that microaggression to me in a very public area. First of all, I'm gonna feel embarrassed that we're having this conversation. And then I'm gonna feel emotionally offended that you are sitting here and coming to me with that. So if I have someone that is like emotionally supporting me and backing me up, then I feel that like, my emotions are justified in a sense that I'm like, okay, I feel valid in the fact that I am upset right now. Because I feel like a lot of times society has brought us up to second guess the way that we feel about something. Because overhearing it so many times, the are you sent, like you're just sensitive, it's not that deep, you internalize it. So you second guess yourself without them even necessarily having to say it out loud. And you sit here, you're like, is it that deep? Am I being sensitive right now? Do I need to take a chill pill and just like walk away from the situation? Right. Yeah, I think that that was the piece that was missing. So I didn't have a wit. I didn't have witness support in that situation. And like I said in the past, I have been in those situations where it was more just. I shouldn't say just, where there were off-color comments and someone else would be like, hey, that's not cool. And I think that that's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for someone that is part of that unit, that collective, to say something, to correct the person before me as the outsider would say it. And that's what was missing. And that made it feel even worse because then all eyes were on me and the onus was going to be on me to do something or not. In terms of being the witness, though, I am, that is something that I also always do. I don't like to say always and never, but you know, I, I do do stand up for people when they're not in the room because I see often also when people try to use that as a bonding where they create it as like an us, you know, they'll say something like whatever the group is, but you know how they are. 
And I'm like, no, I don't know how they are. Why don't you tell me what you mean by that, right? Because we're not going to bond over you saying discriminatory comments about this other group. So, right, it doesn't matter if I'm not a part of that group or I'm not a part of that identity or that identity isn't something that I associate with. I still will point out when people are making those kinds of comments. And you're right, I, I agree that it, it somehow seems easier to do that because it's because it's not, right? The, the emotional level sometimes is lower, right? Because I don't have the so-called personal stake, although we all have the stake, but it feels like, yeah, I'm definitely gonna stand up for these people that aren't in the room. I definitely agree with that because I think as a witness, you're less attached to the situation than the person being targeted because the person being targeted is put on the spot versus as a witness, you have a moment to think about your first response given your personalities, because everyone has different personalities, some people, even as a witness, their first response is probably quicker than even the person put on the spot. But generally, as a witness, you're kind of take a step back and you're looking at the situation with a lesser emotional attachment to the entire situation. So I think that makes it easier for a witness to respond and respond in a way that is kind of more thought out than the person who's being put on the spot. Because when you're put on the spot, you're suddenly overwhelmed with so many emotions that sometimes it can just draw a blank and you don't know how to respond to the situation. And that's why I think we have to be more conscious as a witness because you can play a much more important role than you think you can. Like Samaya said, two is much more effective than one person fighting back. It's Coach Colette. I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Let's Talk. I wanted to share some information about a healing technique that you hear me mention in my episodes. It's EFT or Emotional Freedom Technique. It's also known as tapping because you are tapping on acupuncture points on your body. Why is this important? Because it can help you to reduce stress or anxiety. It's also really helpful to rewrite those limiting beliefs that you may still be carrying from previous traumatic experiences, even things like microaggressions. I can help you with that. Go to my website, startwithincoaching.com, and at the top, click on Book Online. Scroll until you'll see Reset Your Mindset with EFT, and you can book a private virtual session with me. I'll teach you what all the tapping points are, and we'll spend the session beginning to unravel and rewrite those limiting beliefs. Startwithincoaching.com, book online, and book your private EFT session so we can release and let go of those limiting beliefs. Let's move on to the next segment. And our first question is, how do we internalize microaggression? I think it's interesting because often it's unconscious in terms of because I, I talk about this when we talk about limiting beliefs, like where do our limiting beliefs come from? And limiting beliefs often come from things that we may have heard 
things that have been repeated over and over that we just somehow start to believe them to be true. And I think microaggressions can fall into that category, can cause things like self-doubt, or even like you were saying, second-guessing your feelings. There's this sense of gaslighting, right? Uh, when people are like, oh, I didn't really mean that, or you're reading into that, or that's not what I meant, that wasn't my intention, then you start this second-guessing thing about yourself. And we also had had a conversation offline about, I realize there are certain behaviors, like if I'm in a store, I, particularly I find that when I'm in the drugstore, I don't know why, but I, I've just started to recently notice this, where if I'm on the line and I'm waiting and I've got my whatever card, you know, they put those discount things on your keychain that they scan for your points off. I sometimes feel like I make big gesture of how I'm reaching into my bag or my pocket to get out my keys, particularly if I have, like if I didn't get a little carding thing and I'm just carrying it in my hand. And I started to realize like, why am I doing this? Because I don't want someone to presume that me putting my hand in my pocket is me taking something from the store. And I, it's like, where did that behavior come from? I mean, I have been followed in stores and maybe that's kind of something that i internalize and it's only recently that i've started to notice it so now it's conscious but i think for a, a while it was unconscious and so it's those things where whether it's a comment or an action where you've now sort of taken this on of oh i don't want to provoke this situation or i don't want to cause this conversation so i'm going to change how i'm acting and that was that's one that i've become aware of most recently i can piggyback off of that i agree with you i realize the older i get the more i realize certain behaviors that or i start to actually start to question the behaviors i do when i go outside and say like hey like i wonder why i do certain things like for instance, if I'm driving, I will make sure that like my ID is in a visible spot where I don't have to like reach for it or go behind something or like my, you know, like insurance is like very like easy to grab also just in case like anything happens. I make sure like my hands are visible or for example, too, I realize this is when I go to certain events, like internal events or anything like that. I realize most people always have like the dress the part as just like guidelines in a sense. But for me, it's deeper than that because it's kind of like in a sense of saying like I do belong here. So I will make sure that I like dress the part so people recognize the fact that I also have the qualifications without saying it because I feel like if I look more spiffied up or more professional than it's like, okay, yep, she's a part of so-and-so program. Wow. I mean, being a New Yorker and not, well, and also not driving, but that whole <laughs> sense of, no, but like the whole sense of, you know, driving while black is, is a thing. And to think of that, you know, hearing you say that about making sure that everything is accessible in case you get pulled over, right? And that's a real, a real thing. Yeah, and just like even at airports, making sure all my I have nothing in my bag that's like all everything gets either packed in my suitcase no liquids and then even like when I have like contact solution or those small like pills make sure that it's 
make sure it's out and in a separate bin they see it it's there my laptop all the way out even if it's a huge bin and there's huge space and i only have my jacket or shoes my laptop's in the separate bin it's going in a separate way my backpack easy like open clear everything's just make sure there's nothing that could possibly anything go wrong like sometimes i even find myself i won't wear jeans i'll wear sweatpants like i'll have like no metal on my clothes just so i know that there's nothing that they could possibly pull me aside for. I have that like assurance and it's like, it's not even like I've been pulled aside. Well, actually, there actually has been a time where it was a um, international flight and I was just randomly chosen out of the whole long line of people. I was randomly chosen to get a pat down. And I was like, that, that's fine. Like, I'm not gonna stand there and complain about it especially when there's a huge line of people and obviously it's not going to go how I want it to go if I say why'd you pick me it's not it's definitely not going to go my way so I just go along with it but I find myself taking every measure to make sure that they can nothing can be found accountable on me I think it's really interesting to hear different perspectives on how we internalize microaggression because personally even for me it's hard for me to think of instances when I've been targeted. I don't know if it's because I haven't been subjected to that much, that many microaggressions, um, or is it me not being conscious that they are microaggressions? So it's not that I normalize it, nor not. Like I'm very, listening to you guys talk about is giving me perspective on have I actually normalized it or it's just not something that occurs in my life that often. So it's, it's nice hearing you guys' perspective. So let's move on to the next question. It's what backlash or consequences do we face for speaking up against microaggression? I think the most common one in like a casual setting is the why are you so sensitive or oh, I didn't mean it. And then suddenly it's no longer about the statement that was said, it's suddenly on me. Um, I think that's just the most common like consequence that we get. And then, and then like either it blows over or I can continue to fight back and then maybe I can get them to understand or get other people to stand up and actually like join in and on my side and say like, hey, that's not cool. But it gets more tiring to fight back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that there are, right, context is really important. So the social context the professional context, in your cases, the academic context, right? So is there backlash from a professional standpoint, you speaking up against your supervisor or a colleague, does that then lead to a change in, you know, your performance review as, as an employee or in an academic setting, you saying something, calling a professor out on something, right? Does that change your, your grade or academic standing. So those are different levels. And then there's the social setting, which is so like even in my situation, I thought, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be ostracized or people are going to be like, well, why is she, you know, why is she taking this person on? Or, you know, she doesn't, you know, she's not from here. She, you know, all from here, meaning we were in a different state, but like, so all those things that go through my mind of, oh, my friend's going to be mad at, you know, all these things that are, have nothing to do with, the comment that was made. And so I think that in all of those situations uh, and, and 
thinking of your comments to my, I mean, and what we know has actually happened, right? Is there a threat to my life, right? Like if I, if I, and I think of that even sometimes here in New York, uh, when I'm on the, I'm on the bus and they make, make us do that, like show your ticket when you're on the limited bus. And I think like, oh, this is so annoying and it's such a waste of time. And then I think, wow, like, could my comment or my, you know, my snarky comment, could that lead to something that it's like the unintended consequence, right? If, if someone feels like, oh, they want to single you out or, and that I don't think I, I don't have a fear of my life in that situation, but obviously we know in other situations with police that there have been instances and where the person may not have even done anything to, to cause it. And yet there's, you know, then there's been loss of life. I think it's just always sad to hear because you can't even sit here and say, you can't even do a heavy sigh out in public without that being seen a certain way or people perceiving it in a negative context. And in each situation or each context, if it's professional or academic or social, each backlash and consequence is in a negative way that you are perceived as. And it's absolutely maddening to me because how are you seen to be negative for defending yourself against a negative comment? Like that, it just, I don't know, like that whole concept of it like baffles me. And I guess in a sense we've, we've always been so programmed to be always seen in a positive light or to, or to, be, to show the best version of ourselves. And so we're very hesitant to sit here and stand up for ourselves. And I think that's just, I, I, I don't know. And in either context though, especially I feel like it's more difficult when it comes to professional, when you don't have certain organizations or certain departments like HR there, like ASVAC, because it's like, if it's a huge organization, it's a huge company, and you see these microaggressions that are constantly occurring, you have the resource to go to human resources and complain and file and do all that. But if it's a smaller company, you don't have those resources. So therefore, it's like, what do you do then? There's the consequences of, do I stay here? Do I stand up for myself and like risk the, uh, losing my job? Or do I stay here and go through this and endure this pain and pay my bills? Right, right. And it's, and it's sad that we have to make that choice, right? Because it is a choice, even, even in situations where, where we don't like the options there still are options and that I think is challenging and, and yes, sad when those options or, or our choices could lead to loss of income or loss of life or maybe loss of connections, but maybe they weren't designed to be the connections anyway. Maybe that one's not so bad, but, but yeah, the sense of losing your job or losing, you know, grade performance, academic standing or whatever it is. And it isn't, it isn't fair. That's that I think is the biggest part of it, right? It's it's not fair. It's not equitable if we if we have those words um, in quotes. And then it's also stressful, right? It's stressful for those of us receiving it because you're living in that agony of what do I do? What should I say? Do I say something? Do I tell somebody? All of those things go through your mind, and that can cause extra stress. I think it's like sometimes going off of that. Sometimes you come away from it thinking like either way 
I'm the one that lost. It's like I fight back. Well, then suddenly like they come at me and say, why are you so sensitive? And, so, and they wanted to get a response out of me and I've just responded, they've won. Or I don't fight back and technically I've won because they're trying to provoke me, but I didn't let it happen. But also I wasn't able to respond, wasn't able to defend myself. I just had to walk away because I know there are consequences. So it's kind of just that feeling of loss where it's like there are benefits or I don't know if you call it benefits, but they're like not responding or responding in some ways, maybe I've gained something, but either way, they are still in that position of quote unquote power where they can say, hey, like, why are you so sensitive? Or they can be the one to say like, they come away feeling like, yeah, you, you can't respond. And, and I know you can't respond because you're not in the right position. It's really upsetting particularly in the way that everyone is entitled to how they feel. When somebody says something to me, I'm entitled to the way I feel towards your response, but why are we in a position where, like Candace said, every, anything that we say, any retaliation or not fight back, it just seems to like never be benefit us, even though we were quote unquote the victims. Um, so our next question is more, um, touching on like the popularized phrase woke. So what does it mean to be quote unquote woke? And what are your thoughts about the popularized phrase? <laughs> I know we're all laughing about that. I mean, I think it's interesting if, if in particular people use it as like a defense for microaggression, like, oh, you know, I don't mean that I'm woke. What does that really mean, right? Does, is that a pass? Like you get a pass for saying stupid stuff because you're quote unquote woke? I don't think so, but I wonder if people think that by saying it or wearing t-shirts that say I'm woke gives them some sort of pass on understanding other people's you know, cultures and identities. Yeah, I, we, we said this offline, but is woke the new I have a friend that is so-and-so identity. I feel like when people say that they are woke, it is an excuse. Because necessarily, if we're being honest, like no one is woke. There is always opportunity to learn. There is always opportunity to grow. There is always something out there that you don't know. And recognizing that is a strength. But for you to sit here and say that you are all-knowing, you are not. And that's very ignorant of you to say so. And I feel like that's what that word woke encompasses. Yeah, my mom always tells me that the most dangerous person is the person that's only read one book. So it's they've read that one book and they think they know it all because from that one book, they're like, yeah, they preach about it all they want, but they, that's only one side, that's only one thing. And that's definitely, you definitely don't know everything if you're from that one, but that's dangerous because they take that to believe so much and suddenly they're the expert. They're you don't need a doctor they they got you but that's what's so dangerous about it is because they use the term woke and suddenly if you say something against it like hey that maybe that's not it or there can be another side they're quote unquote woke so suddenly you're against it and suddenly you're on the wrong side why are you arguing with me like i'm the one that's right and you're not so you must be to put it harshly like if someone's woke and you say something against their statement, they're like, you're being racist or you're anti-feminist or like anything. Suddenly you're on the bad, quote unquote bad side. But really, there's never just one side to anything. And it's always valuable to know both sides. 
but usually people that say they're woke are usually only focusing on one side and narrowing it down a lot. I find the term woke itself kind of confusing because how can one phrase determine or prove to somebody that they are aware of that many issues? It just seems like something you say to defend yourself because you don't know what to say. And it's just very weak in its argument. And I just, I don't think it should be what society uses to defend themselves in these situations. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's, it does feel a bit more like a, a cop-out in a way, right? Because it's something that makes one seem aware or seem in the know when in reality it's you, you may not know, or even if you do know, you're still kind of closing off other opinions or other, other perspectives on the situation. And I think especially if you're using a defense, like someone comes at, and well not comes at you, but someone says like, hey, what you're saying, I don't really think that's okay. And you say, no, I, I'm woke. Like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that just proves how close-minded you are because you're not willing to see why they might have found offense in what you said and said you must be right because you're woke well that just shows how not aware you actually are right so there's the i'm woke but i'm not present mm -hmm. and we really want to be present in situations and 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 present to the moment and the person that's right in front of us so even if there's no intention for harm. If someone says what I said offended them, then I need to be present in that moment to say, oh, wow, I'm sorry. Like, let's tell me, like, what was it? And try to unpack what it was that actually caused the offense as opposed to the woke is also the, the separating. It's like, oh, well, it's, it's like putting it back on the other person. Like, no, I'm good. You must have, you must have found something wrong here because I'm, I'm woke. <laughs> Fantastic. So I think this was another really deep and rich conversation. I hope that you all are uh, inspired and challenged and we would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on this episode and all of our episodes of Let's Talk. So that's all from the Start Within team for now. Until then, this is Coach Colette helping you to start within to finish strong.